It's always fun doing the welcome and then doing the sermon because you're speaking to a bit of a second group the next time that you get to stand in front of people and talk. And so for those of you who weren't here, my name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors of Redeemer here. We are going to be in 1 Timothy 2, and we're actually going to be in verses 3 through 7. We're going to go and look back at a couple verses that we looked at last week as well. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 7. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a mediator. Jesus, we thank you that right now you are bringing our needs and our requests before the Father, and it is through you that we boldly have access as one body to God. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, it is great to have you guys here. I know we don't say this every single week, but after so many months of not having you, we've been meeting together for six, seven weeks with all of our children. It still is amazing to have our kids here. And in fact, I have a job for you guys, if you can listen well to the sermon. There's two important words that we're going to be talking about in the second point of the sermon. Two important words. If you can remember what they are when you hear them and come and talk to me afterwards, you'll get a high five. I don't have any treats, but you'll get a high five. But two important words. Okay, now for the rest of everybody... Adults, I'm not going to give you a high five. I'll just say thanks for, thanks for listening. Um, people are known for what they love. So what we desire, what we love, it shapes who we are. It shapes our identity. Anyone who spends time with me, it won't take them very long before they learn that I love coffee. I love coffee. I love every part of coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I love coffee culture. If I find out that you like coffee and I like coffee, we're going to spend some time talking together. For my birthday, I got this thing called an AeroPress. I love it. I love coffee. Coffee is a part of who I am. By getting to know coffee, you get to know me in one sense. Now, coffee is a small desire. I love it. It doesn't make up a big part of who I am. I could live without coffee. There's other desires, though, other loves that I have that make up essential parts of who I am. I love God. I want to love him with all my being. I cannot imagine being me apart from a relationship with God and my love for God. I love my family. I love my wife, and I love my kids. I take incredible significance being a husband, being a father. I love this church. I love you guys. I love being a part of Redeemer Online. It is an incredible privilege to be a part of this church. All of those desires, all of those loves, 
shape who I am at an essential level. By getting to know what I love, you learn who I am. As one theologian said, you are what you love. This is true not only of human beings, this is also true of God. When you understand God's heart and you understand who God is from his heart, you get a glimpse into what he values most. And tonight we're going to be looking at the heart of God. We already read 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. We're going to walk through this text verse by verse, and we're going to see three ways this text unfolds. The first is that we're going to see the heart of God. The second, we're going to see the demonstration of God's heart. And third, we're going to see the proclamation of God's heart. We're going to see first the heart of God, then the demonstration of God's heart, and then finally the proclamation of God's heart. Hope you have your Bibles open. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture, and we'll look at it tonight. In 1 Timothy 2.4, we get probably one of the clearest glimpses into the heart of God. We read it already. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pastor John last week spent a lot of time unpacking this passage, so we're not going to go all the way through it like he did, but this is a glorious, glorious statement, and there is so much in this statement that we want to be able to just meditate on it and understand God's heart from it. This text tells us in verse 4 that God's heart is that all people would be saved and would come to a knowledge of the truth. There's a lot assumed in these verses that we can unpack simply by working through them and asking questions. Who is God? Well, Paul says God is our Savior. God is our Savior who desires people to be saved. God is not chiefly defined as the offended party that we need to be saved from. That's true. The Bible teaches that. But in this text, God is our Savior. Whose salvation does God desire? God is the Savior of all people. His salvation is not restricted to a single people group. God is not the God of Israel only. He's the God of the nations. He is the Lord over all. He loves the nations. His heart is equally going out to both Jew and Gentile. His salvation is for all people. Why do all people need to be saved? Well, all people need to be saved because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That just gives us an amazing glimpse into God's heart. God's heart is not for the righteous. It's not for the people who are good enough to pass the test on their own. God's heart is not for the ones who look right and cleaned up and well-polished. God's heart is for his enemies, for those who have sinned against him. That's God's heart. Enemies from all the nations. The people God loves are not the faithful. They are the lost. They are the dead in their sins and trespasses. They are the rebellious. We can sometimes be tempted to pit the heart of Jesus 
against the heart of the Father. We, we can look at the New Testament, we can hear Jesus' words, and we can say, oh, Jesus, gentle and mild. And then we look at the God of the Old Testament, and we think, holy, fierce, mountains rumbling under thunder and lightning. We can think, one of those is the angry God, and one of those is the gentle God. This text doesn't let us do that. This text shatters that misconception and shines a bright light on the heart of God. His heart is full of mercy and grace and compassion and love for those who don't deserve it. That's the heart of God. You spend a few hours with me, and you can find out my heart for coffee. You spend a few moments with God, and you find out his heart for his enemies. That's the heart of God. The question that Paul seeks to address next, though, is how do we know this to be true? What evidence can we point to that says God's desire is for people who have rebelled against him from all people groups to be saved? And that's where we're going to look at the next step of Paul's logic, the demonstration of God's heart. Verses 5 and 6 are the greatest proof in the Bible, probably, that God desires all peoples to be saved. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Verse 5 begins with the word for. Here, Paul, he's explaining something. He's explaining how can we know what God's heart is. And this demonstration of God's heart is seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God's Son. How do we know that God's heart is for sinners? Look to Jesus. The heart of the Father and the heart of the Son, they're the same. Jesus, we could say, is the visible demonstration of of God's heart. Author Dane Ortland puts it like this. He says, what if the abstract became concrete? What if the heart of God wasn't just something that came down to us from heaven, but something that showed up among us here on earth? What if we saw God's heart, not in a prophet telling us words about God's heart, but in a prophet telling us he is God's heart? the embodiment of all that God wanted to say to us. In other words, the way that we see God's heart is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There are two words in our passage that help us to understand how Christ Jesus demonstrates God's heart. They are mediator and ransom. Mediator and ransom. Let's look at them one at a time. Jesus demonstrates God's heart as the mediator between God and man. We saw that. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Do you know what a mediator is? A mediator is someone who represents someone to another. Someone who represents one party to another. My wife and I recently had to buy a used car. Now, I know nothing about cars. 
nothing about cars. I don't know anything about cars in America. I don't know anything about cars in the UAE. I am clueless. I mean, I'm just walking around with a sign that says, please take advantage of me. You can make a lot of money off of me. I don't know what I'm looking for. That's me. Thankfully, I'm somewhat self-aware, and so I used a service. We used a service that basically connects car buyers with car sellers to establish trust between the two parties. This service did their own examination of the car. They did their own inspection. They gave me a report that said, these are the concerns, these are the pros to the vehicle. We think the price is valued at the right mark. They did all that. And what it did is it helped Laura and I buy a car with some sense of confidence that I'm probably not going to get ripped off. Now, cars can break, but it seems like there is trust. This person represented my interests to the seller. They functioned as a mediator for me. Now, in the Bible, a mediator isn't someone who goes between two car buyers. A mediator is someone who represents the covenant people before God Almighty and who represents God to the covenant people. We've already seen human beings are sinful and rebellious. We dare not proudly go before God and stand on our own two feet and say, here I am. Look at me, God. We need someone to plead on our behalf. In the Old Testament, we see that in the person of Moses. At Mount Sinai, when Israel is there, God thunders on the mountain and they hear the voice in terror. And they recognize we cannot stand before this God and live. Moses, you go on our behalf. Hear God's word. Speak to us. Because if we go up before God, we know what's going to happen. Death. And they were right. Moses was Israel's mediator. And this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy 5, or what the Lord says. The Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as always to fear me and keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Moses mediated the old covenant to the people of Israel. But that generation was not able to live before God. They all died in the wilderness. They could not stand before the holy God or his law and live. But Jesus is a better mediator than Moses. Jesus is the perfect mediator of the new covenant. He is the perfect representative because he doesn't have his own sin that needs to be dealt with. Jesus never erred in getting angry the way Moses did. Jesus never said something false. Jesus never had self-pity. He perfectly represents his people. Hebrews says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant, the new covenant. He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Jesus is the perfect mediator. 
And this allows for us to put our faith in him as our representative before God, knowing that he will never forsake us. He will never let us down. And because of that, we can go boldly before the Father, like Paul says in Ephesians, not fearfully like the people of Israel, because we have Christ pleading his blood on our behalf. In the new covenant that Jesus mediates, Jews and Gentiles have equal access to God. We are made one body going together before the Father. That's why Paul can say there is one mediator between God and men, not Jews only, but Gentiles. The way that anyone from any people group on the planet gets access to God is through Christ. But how is Jesus able to be a mediator for us? How is he able to go to the Father on our behalf? Well, that's the second big word that we're going to be looking at, ransom. Let's finish verse 6, looking back at verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Do you know what a ransom is? A ransom is a payment that is made in order to set someone free. Typically, we think of this from either movies or from the news, where we hear about kidnapping situations where hostages are being held for ransom. Someone needs to go and make a payment, and when they make that payment, those people who are being held get to go free. Ransom has been paid. What the Bible teaches, though, is that we don't need to be set free from wicked hostages or wicked people keeping us hostage. We are held hostage by our wickedness. We are the wicked ones. We are the sinners. We are enslaved to our own sin, which means we need to be set free from ourselves. We need to be set free from the penalty of our sin. And that's what Jesus does. A payment needs to be made in order to set us free. We need to be ransomed or redeemed. Jesus paid that ransom, and he did it with his own blood. He did it by taking the penalty that we deserved fully upon himself. 100% of it owed. You will not get to heaven and find out that there's a remaining balance that you need to pay off. All of it has been paid by Christ. And in doing so, by shedding his own blood... He secures eternal life for all peoples, Jew and Gentile alike. Listen to Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He paid our penalty so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might go to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. According to Paul, because Jesus has paid our penalty, Gentiles get the gospel. Gentiles get access to the Father, not just Jews. You and I, we stood condemned under the law of God. We stood guilty, ready to die for our sin. And Jesus stepped in front of us, and he said, I'll pay that debt. That person is guilty, yes, but I'm taking it for them. 
I, the blessed God, will become cursed on their behalf. Do you ever struggle wondering if God loves you? Do you ever look at your sin and think, I've done so much. I've done so much this last week. God couldn't possibly love me. Jesus died for you. He died for you as a mess, as an enemy, as a sinner. He didn't die for the fake you that you project to all people to see. He died for the real you, the dirty you, the shame-filled you, the broken you. Because he loves you. And the Father loves you. And Jesus demonstrates the Father's love in him dying for you. You need to go free because Jesus bore your curse. When it says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all, it, it means that Jesus gave himself for all peoples. So it doesn't necessarily mean that every single person on the planet has been redeemed. That offer is preached to all peoples. He gave himself, though, so that no one would be able to say they don't have access to God. It doesn't matter what people group you're from. This is similar to what Paul says in Romans 3 and in Romans 10. In Romans 3, Paul says, Righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Not all people will be justified. Everyone who believes will be, though. There is no distinction. It doesn't matter where you are from. If you turn from your sins and turn to faith in Christ, you have your ransom paid full. Paul says the same thing in Romans 10. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you experience these riches? By calling on Jesus by calling on Jesus. There is no one around the world who would turn to Jesus and call upon him and get turned away because the same Lord is Lord of all. Christ demonstrates God's heart. Let's come back to the question I raised at the beginning of the section. How do we know that it's God's heart for all people to be saved? We've seen, look to Jesus. Paul, writing in Romans 8, just glories in this reality. And he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? God didn't spare his own son so that people from all groups would have access to him. Are you a Ugandan? You have a mediator and a ransom. Are you from India? 
Are you from Pakistan? Are you from Nigeria or Ghana or South Africa? Are you from Europe, from North America? Are you from China? It doesn't matter where you're from. You have a mediator. Christ Jesus died so that you would have access to God. He is the demonstration of the heart of God. In verse 7, Paul moves on to show how his ministry fits within the heart of God. This is our third and final point. We've seen the heart of God, the demonstration of God's heart. Here we're going to see the proclamation of God's heart. He says this in verse 7, For this, that for this there, that's the testimony given at the proper time of Jesus' sacrifice for all. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. God desires for people from all nations to be saved through Christ. Jesus has purchased a people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. So he sends Christ as a ransom. God does. And God sends Paul as a preacher. Christ demonstrates God's heart. Paul proclaims God's heart to the nations. Last week, Pastor John showed us how the heart of God should shape our praying. We should pray for the salvation of all peoples. Here we see how the heart of God should shape our preaching. We preach Christ to all. As Paul puts it in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus. Warning who? Warning everyone. Teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. At Redeemer Online, our mission is the gospel in community for all nations. 1 Timothy 2 is why that's the case. One reason why that's the case. God's heart is for all nations, and so our church wants to be a church made up of all nations. We want to have a heart for all nations. We want to see people from every group in the city come to know Jesus as their mediator and their ransom. We want to proclaim Christ here in online. Did you know that in online, we have a unique opportunity to be able to speak to people about God's heart for them in Christ who would never hear it otherwise in their home countries. We do. We have people who work next to you. They share your accommodation. They teach in your same school. You see them at the park. You see them at the grocery store. They come from places of the world where Christ Jesus is not proclaimed. They don't know the demonstration of God's heart. And yet they're here. How are those people going to know that God loves them? How are those people going to know that God desires their salvation? Through you. You have the opportunity to proclaim God's heart in Christ to those people. One of the reasons why Laura and I moved to the UAE to pastor is because we know that we could spend our entire week as individuals pouring ourselves out for the lost, telling people about God's heart in Christ. We would be spent and exhausted 
and we wouldn't talk to a fraction of the people that you guys interact with throughout the week. But if 10 of you, just 10, go and tell people in this city about God's heart in Christ for them this next month, think about the impact that could have. Think about the impact if Redeemer Online took seriously the proclamation of Christ to the nations here in the city for the rest of the year, for the next year, for the next 10 years. Think about what God could do. We have the most precious gift of all, the good news of Jesus Christ. Not all of us are called to be Paul's. Not all of us are called to be Timothy's. But we are all called to be faithful. And we have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Jesus has purchased a people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. That's what Revelation 5 says. In Revelation 7, we see that people standing around the throne, praising God, saying salvation belongs to the Lord. How do they get there? Someone told them about Jesus. May God see fit that Redeemer Outline would be able to play a small part of that. That God would give us the privilege of seeing people call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We have a God who is merciful to his enemies. He desires for all people to be saved. This desire is demonstrated in Christ and proclaimed by God's people. May we take that seriously and faithfully as we glory in the gospel this next week. Lord God, we thank you that not one of us not one of us has a right to be in this room, and yet you are merciful and gracious. We thank you that you love us. You don't love us because of what we bring you, but you love us because of what you have brought us, your Son. Lord, I pray that as we sing of the only name by which we are saved, we would savor the love of God in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.